0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of Mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia. Hello my pretties, and welcome to the Agora Podcast Network's spectacular month of ghoulishly engaging content, celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under all the beds, and continue if you dare. We begin this installment with the host of Tiny Vampires, Raven, Forest, Friscalzo, who tells us a bizarre tale of control that will leave you wondering if you can trust that voice inside your head and ask, should you always let your conscience be your guide? Or is something sharing your headspace and pulling your strings?
1: My home is so beautiful. My sisters and I are very thankful for this warm, lush home we've made together. My job is incredibly important. I and the other gatherers find food for everyone. I'm so excited, despite the heavy load, because of how far this meal will go to fill the young one's bellies. Besides, I have my other gatherer sisters to help me. Looking over at them, I can see they feel the same way. Still, I'm relieved when I see another sister heading towards us. This will lighten the load even more. But what is she thinking? She's walking all jittery and leaving the designated path. I call to her that straying away from the path is dangerous, but she climbs a tree. It doesn't even bear fruit. Leave Hebe. one of my fellow carriers commands. We need to get this prize back before it's stolen. Redoubling my efforts, as we get closer to home, other gatherers come and help lift. Each time they join us, they greet. Feed the sisterhood. The Call colony forever. forever. And each time, I feel the weight of responsibility towards them. But it also raises my spirits. I'm not doing this alone. We're almost home. When I see a beautiful sight, the sun is going down and throwing a beam of light through the leaves onto the forest floor. Millions of tiny stars drift down and swirl back up and through the beam, walking through this magical light. I don't expect to feel anything but some warmth. But the dust motes sting my head and back. Looking around, I see that I'm not the only one who dropped our catch. Like me, they felt a sting. They're rubbing themselves all over, attempting to clean it off. After a minute, the feeling of anxiety from being away from home for too long becomes more pressing than the now subtle sting. I shout, Feed the sisterhood. And with a call of... The The colony colony forever. We lift once again. Finally, we make it back inside the giant tree we've carved into our home. It relaxes me instantly. The sound of the thousands of voices gives me such peace. With a final push and tug... The giant locust that we caught goes into the pantry, and with that, we are free of our charge. Still feeling the sting, I decide to find an area to clean myself more thoroughly. Methodically, I use my mouth to clean my legs and antennae. Move the leg. I look around. This isn't a voice I've heard before. Looking over, I see a newly emerged worker who skitters past with a quick, The colony forever? It must have been her. I really need to calm myself down and start to focus before heading back outside. It's too dangerous outside to be giddy. Move the leg. Weird. Why do they keep saying that? Back on the ground, I find the trailhead pretty quickly, as the scent is strong this close to home, and I'm on my way. I'm making good time when I turn the corner and see three sisters carrying a beetle, still wriggling in their tight grasp. Feed the sisterhood. I inspect their catch. The colony forever? We've got to go. He's a lively one. I agree and let them pass. Move the leg. Why do you all keep saying that? Well, they have already turned the corner and are gone, far out on the boundaries of our region. I begin my search for food carefully, but quickly. I feel so vulnerable, not knowing how close my nearest sisters could be. Move the leg. Your freeze. Where? Who? I'm sure no one's around. So where could this voice be coming from? With a start, I force myself to move. Smelling the air or any other ants. A sister? A rival colony. Hiding beneath leaves or behind a plant. Move. A leg. There it is again. This time I realize it's too clear. It's too quiet. This voice. It is in my head? No, no. No, no, no. That can't be right. (sighs) Move the leg. Uh, Who are you? Move the leg. Why are you saying that? Get out of my head. Wiping my head and antennae with my legs. Frantically, I clean myself over and over. Get out! Get out! Leave me alone! Move the leg. Trying to calm myself. Just... Do what it says. Maybe it'll leave me alone. Look whomever you are. I'm moving my leg. Lifting each one in turn. Are you happy? Nothing. Which one do you want me to move? Just tell me. I'll move it. And then you'll go away, right? Nothing. More frantically, I move each leg in turn. Please! Please, please, just answer me. I'm doing what you want. Move the leg. I did. I moved them. I did what you want. I don't understand. What am I going to do? Something isn't right. This is wrong. Oh, I don't know what to do. What's happening? Crumbling and curling into a ball, I just stare I stare at the underside of a fallen leaf. I just keep staring. How is this? How could this what is happening? What's going on? For a split second I forget everything when an aphid appears crawling along the edge of the leaf. It must have fallen from the canopy above. Wiping the predicament out of my mind, I jump to my feet and snatch it up. The tiny thing's feeble wriggling, completely pointless. The sweetness of it brings me back to my senses. I have a job to do. A colony to feed. Move the leg. I'll ignore it. This stupid voice. Get on with my life. This sweet treat is small, but worth the trip back to the security of the colony. Once I'm around my sisters, the hum of their thousands of voices, that'll drown it out. Move the leg. I'm startled awake. Oh, it's my new companion. Stiffly, I get up and start to move around. Move the antenna. Move a mandible. Hmm. Seems like she's extended her vocabulary while I was sleeping. Hungry, I head over to the pantry gallery and continue to ignore my passengers' insistent orders. When one of the pantry workers passes me a piece of caterpillar, I thank her. Feed the sisterhood. The colony forever. Then suddenly, one of my legs begins to twitch spasmodically. Shocks, she asks me if I'm okay, but I scurry off before she can sound the alarm. Unhealthy ants are no longer our sisters and are removed quickly. Still shaking a bit, I head for outside and up the tree. Devouring my meal, the shaking stops. With a sigh of relief, I rest. Then, my abdomen starts quivering. Before I know to hold on more tightly, all of my legs are shaking and I'm falling. Green blur, wind rushing, a cacophony of odors as I fall past the opening to our gallery home. My sisters, I'm sorry I failed you. With a thud and a bounce, I hit the leaves and twigs of the forest floor, crumpled. Ah. But alive, I feel my moving, only in twitches. Yes, yes, yes. Now, move the leg. Slowly, my leg moves. But this is different. This is not me. It's so unnatural. It's terrifying. I jump up. Once again in control. Shaking off the weird sensation. Still a little jittery. I start to sniff out the trail. There's no sense in going back inside. I should just start off my search for food. Every few steps, a detached movement of a leg or mouth part or antennae comes back. My passenger gets more and more excited with each movement.
2: That's it.
1: (laughs) Yes. Now, let's see what I can do. This chills me. Can I go off the path? My legs become less and less my own. I don't know what to do. I try to turn to go back to the safety of the colony. But instead, I leave the path, wandering aimlessly. I can't be doing this. There is a system in place. I have an area to search for food. This is not my area. Struggling, I finally make it back to the path. It was just a few seconds. I was just panicking over nothing. I'm back in control. Things are fine. Still, I turn back. My scare has me longing for the safety of my sisters. When I see another gatherer, I instantly feel better. Feed the sisterhood. She calls to me. The... 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 I try to respond, but I can't. Feed the sisterhood? She looks confused. Time to find a more suitable location. My passenger makes my body turn, leaving the trail and my precious sister behind. I wonder what she's thinking. How could I treat her this way? I plead with my passenger, don't take me off the path again. I could get lost. I could never find my way home again. Please, whatever you are, we can't go this way. Oh, this is much better. The smell of water grows stronger. The movements I feel, but I don't control, are much more fluid now. Only rarely do I get the sensation that my body is my own. I watch, I only watch, and smell, and feel as I climb up and up a plant that offers nothing but a warm, humid location. There are no insects or fruit to eat here. Please, we must go back. After trying a few leaves, I find it. A leaf, hanging at just the right angle. It's warm, protected from strong winds, humid. The vein on the underside of the leaf is robust and perfect for gripping onto. I need to get back. I've been gone too long. Oh, this is perfect. I can live here forever. (laughs) I guess I will. What? No! I crawl out onto the leaf and position this body in just such a way to catch a gentle breeze just right. And I clamp down hard. Release it! I can't stay here. Release it, please! The jaws clamp down harder and harder, cutting into the woody inside of the vein. But I picked the right leaf. It doesn't cut through. Even as the clenching muscles give way and tear, I'm finally free of the struggle for control. Now I must only wait and grow. The days pass. Starving. Immobile and slowly being drained. I've given up hope. My sisters, they'll go on without me. Another gatherer will be assigned my search area with the last bit of energy. I try to look up to see my home one last time. Instead, I see a horror... Leaf after leaf, hanging, jaws clamped, my sisters, hundreds, (laughs) it's dead now, and the clock is ticking, I must break out of this husk, stretching and growing, I unfurl, then a light draft begins to blow. My moment is right, and I release my spores. My children are beautiful. In the light, like a million stars, they float down, drifting gently onto the scurrying ants below. Hello. I'm Raven Forrest Scalzo, the host of the Tiny Vampires podcast, and this was a dramatization of a true story. The cordyceps fungi are real. There are many species that each infect a specific insect species. The most famous cordyceps is commonly referred to as the zombie ant fungus, which infects ants and controls their behavior using a cocktail of neurochemicals. The infection can be spread to the point where it wipes out entire colonies. Our world is full of fascinating stories illuminated by science. The types of science we discuss on Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. I want to thank Rachel King-Lopez for her work and helping me write and edit this script.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: And we will close today with Stephen Guerra from the history of the papacy who delves into the moldering catacombs of the Holy See and returns with a tale shrouded in uncertainty about an unlikely pontiff who kept an unexpected secret beneath their papal vestments.
3: What is at heart of the classic Halloween story? A Halloween story has to have a surprise, shock, and challenge your assumptions. The story of the only woman Pope of Rome checks off all the boxes on this list and then some. The tale of Pope Joan is shrouded in the thick layers of dust that accumulate on this type of story. The facts get muddled, they change, and then they crystallize again in a new generation. Not everything can be precisely dated and categorized. Is that because the mists of time closed in and obscured the truth? Is it that the Church and the powers of the past purposefully piled dust onto the events of Pope Joan, so that we couldn't know the truth? Let's take one of these partially hidden tales and unpack it and see where it leads us. Let's go back to the ninth century in Europe. The eight hundreds were an unsettled time, to say the least. If you were living anywhere in Europe, you were liable to have your door kicked down, your meagre possessions stolen, and have your family taken away to be sold into slavery. There were pagan Viking Norsemen from Scandinavia trampling through northern Europe and even making the odd foray into the Mediterranean. In the south, the Saracens could show up at any minute and not only raid a village or sack a town, they might stay around for good. Maybe an earl's lands up in Anglo-Saxon England have been raided once too many times, and this earl decided it was time to pick up stakes and move to Francia, what today we call France and Germany. The prospects in Francia were not great either, This once great lord ekes out a living on a small farm in what is now western Germany near the city of Mainz. (laughs) To this once noble family is born a daughter named Joanna. Joanna is a plain girl who is always far too thin because there's never nearly enough on her table. Joanna's parents knew she was something special. Joanna had a very out-of-the-ordinary intellect. Her mother taught Joanna to read in the evenings after all the laborious work was done. It is often said the medieval age was a terrible time for women. It was. The Middle Ages weren't much better for men, but men did have a number of opportunities in most circumstances that were completely unavailable to women. There was one particular opportunity available to boys and men and not available to women that is important for Joanna's tale. Boys and young men could join one of the Western monastic communities, Now, to our modern ear, living a life of poverty, sleeping no more than a few hours a night in order to pray every four to six hours, and constant labor under the complete control of an abbot, might not sound like a great life-changing opportunity. The early Middle Ages was a completely different time members of a monastic community were well-fed, considering, had good living accommodations, and had a chance to serve a higher calling. A monastic community was also a place where someone of an academic bent might be able to have a chance to read some of the remnants of classical learning. All of these doors were slammed shut in Joanna's face. That was, until she started an unlikely, or at least illicit, relationship. A monk attached to a local abbey became friendly with Joanna when he would venture into town. One thing led to another, and Joanna and this monk became more than just pals, if you know what I mean. So this monk cooked up a plan to be able to spend some more quality time with Joanna. Joanna's monk boyfriend introduced her to the monastery as a new novice named John of England. John, or Joanna, was living the medieval life to its fullest by any reasonable accounting. Joanna, now John Anglicus, lit the medieval Central European monastic scholastic community on fire. John made a name that was so big, he was asked to go to Athens to teach and continue to pursue advanced studies. John Anglicus was discovered in Athens by papal authorities and was convinced to go to Rome so she could continue studying and teaching. John became a bishop along the way. Then John was bestowed with the cardinal's hat. At this point, John basically achieved the medieval equivalent of the kid from the mean streets who gets noticed in high school for athletic prowess, gets the scholarship to a big school, and then is drafted to play for the championship team it was a miracle story. John was such a valued figure in Rome, she was elevated to the highest position in Christendom, Pope of Rome, as Pope John. All of this before the age of 40. Does it get any better than that? This doesn't sound much like a Halloween story, does it? Well, the Wheel of Fortune never stopped turning in the Middle Ages of Europe. As soon as you were on top, Fate was going to swing you in the other direction, and fast. There was never anything such as a happily ever after in ninth century Europe. It just didn't exist. As a matter of fact, the idea of the Wheel of Fortune was really one of the first great medieval philosophical ideas from one of the greatest philosophers of that time, Boethius. But that's a different story for a different show. Pope John's, or rather, Popes Joanna's ride on the Wheel of Fortune ended one day on a procession between the basilicas of St. Peter's in the Vatican and the papal home base cathedral of St. John Lateran. Popes at that time had a few modes of transportation, which at that time did not include the pope mobile. The ninth century pope mobile was the open sedan chair. As the papal procession passed the Colosseum, something incredibly unusual happened, something that never happened before or since. The Pope became extremely ill. The footman dropped the sedan chair, and everyone drew near. The army of priests and acolytes who always surrounded a pope circled around Pope Joan, or Pope John, if you will. Behind the priests gathered the great mob that always lined a papal procession route, just waiting for a benediction from the pope himself. What the crowd saw that day was a pope deliver a healthy baby boy. In one popular telling, the throng was quiet and then mob rule took over. Mother and child were taken and dashed in a fit of violence right in the middle of the alley where the papal procession had stopped. Is this the end of the story? This is one ending, but not the only possible ending. Do popes really never use the alley next to the Church of San Clemente, where Joan died? Did popes need to have their gender verified in an official ceremony using a particular and peculiar piece of furniture? If this little story has piqued your interest in finding out more about the woman pope, I recommend you check out the History of the Papacy podcast and the Beyond the Big Screen podcast to find out the rest of the story behind Pope Joan. I hope you'll join us at a to z for more tricks and treats. Have a safe and happy Halloween.
2: A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back. And a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads, but those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back, like a moth drawn to the flame, for the next installment of Agoraphobia.